As we come again before the very word of God, if you'd like to read along with me, uh, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah in chapter 5, that's in the Old Testament. If you can find Psalms, just turn backward a little bit till you bump into it. Nehemiah chapter 5, or you can just, just listen. But before we read uh, together, would you please uh, pray with me? Lord, we, we know that your, your word here is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's by your word that you show us what is true and the good way for us to go as we follow you. So, Lord, would you help us by your spirit to look, to listen, and to obey? Would you transform all of our lives now by the hearing and believing of your word? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Nehemiah in chapter 5. I want for us to take up this morning the whole chapter. It's 19 verses, but it's narrative. We can take it. Uh, We're just kind of working our way through the book of Nehemiah. So this is Nehemiah in chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 1. Now, there arose a great outcry of the people, and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We've borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards, and now... Our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. And yet we're forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. And they were silent and could not find a word to say. And so I said, the thing that you're doing is not good. Ought you to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let's abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you've been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. 
I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, beside those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. This is the word of God. Now, what's going on here? We're in the middle of Nehemiah, so just to quickly catch us up here, Nehemiah and the people of Israel have returned from exile for quite some time now, and the walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed, burned, torn down, so they are currently in the middle of this two-month-long rebuild of the wall of Jerusalem. And we saw last week that this was not without a lot of trouble. There was trouble faced from the outside. Lots of enemies all around started a rumbling of war. There was fighting from the outside. But this week we see that there's also trouble faced from the inside. There's conflict from within their own people. So in order to rebuild this wall of Jerusalem, many of the surrounding farmers, the Jews and the people in the countryside, were brought in, recruited to help in this construction. And by helping in this big community effort, this probably came at great cost to themselves to be able to do this. Without farmers out in the field, there was a, a sort of minor famine that rose up, and, and there was a general lack of grain and of money which left many people with no choice but to take out a mortgage. How modern does that sound? They took out mortgages on their fields, their vineyards, their houses, their olive orchards, even mortgages on themselves and their own families. They were having to borrow money with interest in order to just make ends meet and to be able to eat and stay alive. And as a result from this, there was a, a great outcry from the people. Something here is wrong. Something needs to be done here. So today, we're going to take up this subject of financial justice in the scripture. As we take up this topic of financial justice, we know this is part of God's good work among us. 
We know that according to the scripture, God, God made the world good and rich and full. But when Adam and Eve and all the rest of us turned away from God and entered into sin, God the Father in love would send his son Jesus to rescue his people. And by the cross of Jesus, we are now no, no longer condemned for our sin. We are not exiled from God forever. But it's also part of the good news, not that we're just not condemned, but that the Holy Spirit continues to shape us in holiness, that holiness identifies all parts of our lives. That includes spheres of economics and commerce and finance. So the big question for us today is, by the grace and transforming power of God, how is it that we are to pursue financial justice? That's the question. How do we pursue holy financial justice? In Nehemiah's context, they're facing a big financial problem, which we'll look at soon. But before we look at what's wrong, I want us first to look at what's not wrong. We need to clarify what's right what's lawful according to the word of God in relation to our finances. So first, let's look at what's right in relation to finances. I'll say a few things. The first is this. It is right to have ownership of personal property. It's right to own personal property. The, we don't just have a collective communal pot where everything belongs to everyone. We know ultimately everything belongs to God. It is God who gives as he pleases, but that does not mean that God gives everything to all of us collectively. Some things are ours collectively, but some things are yours. Some things are yours. Some things are mine. Some things are theirs. Each of us have our own belongings. So the issue here with Jerusalem is that it's not that the people aren't getting their fair slice of the big pie. The issue is that people were at root risk of losing their personal belongings. They might lose my field, my house, my vineyards. That's not selfish for them to not want that to happen. Ownership is good. That's true in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, too. There were, there were times, we know, in the early church, right after Jesus, where, where the people of God were of one heart and soul, where they had all things in common. Many new Christians willingly were selling a lot of their personal possessions. They were generous to help care for the needs of others in order to further the mission of Christ and his kingdom. But for us to share and to have everything in common, that's not the norm. That's not a command of God. That's not even an ideal in Scripture. Giving is an ideal in Scripture. Giving is good. And if we own nothing, we can't give anything. Which means that, I know this sounds maybe political, but total communism in which nothing is mine, everything is ours, total communism is against God's word. Now, having said that, uh, we need to be careful not to misconstrue such things. We talk about communism being against God's word. I know many Christians who land faithful Christians, God-honoring, Bible-believing Christians who land all along the political economic spectrum. 
So, so, some vote red, some vote blue, uh, some don't vote at all for that matter. But of all of these Christians along the spectrum, none of these people, at least my friends to my knowledge, ascribe to communist views. And we can all agree that it is good for society to hold some things in common ownership. That we have shared roads, for example, shared law enforcement, shared military equipment, maybe even shared schools and libraries and things like that. There's some disagreement about where to draw the lines, about what we hold in common. Do we, do we have in common health care? You know, should we, we keep in common some basic housing or food or higher education or social services? Scripture doesn't draw a clear line, so there's plenty of room to discuss with wisdom and humility about how to do all of that. But the one thing is clear, that while we may hold some things in common, there are many things that we own individually, and personal ownership is right. That's the first. Personal ownership is right. Here's the second right thing about finances. It's right to have different amounts of ownership. It's right to have different amounts of ownership. Scripture does not say that we're all supposed to own roughly the same amount of property. That's not possible. There's going to be some necessary variation from person to person, family to family. We hear, maybe you hear also, a lot of discussion about the growing gap between the rich and the poor you heard about this? That, that, that there's a growing gap between the rich and the poor, the, the death of the middle class, it's often called. And those sorts of things are a concern. To have a system of have and have nots, that's not good according to the Bible. But to have a system of haves and have a little lesses, that's life. That's a reality that we have to learn to accept. Now, the haves and have less, most of us would probably rather be a part of those who have, maybe have just a little bit more, maybe we think that's better or at least easier, but the Bible says that those who have a little more, that's also thornier. The scriptures are loaded with warnings about having too much, about how easily we can be consumed by the love of money, which is the root of not just greed, but of all kinds of evil. And the famous line from Jesus that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's supposed to give us pause to cause us to examine the amount of stuff that we own to consider whether it's moving us toward the kingdom of God or further away. That said, it is not wrong to have money. Nor is it wrong to even have a little bit more money than the man next to you. you know, Nehemiah, at the end of this chapter, in chapter 5, Nehemiah is now the governor of Judah, which comes with a little greater amount of power, greater amount of possessions. 
He's hosting meals for 150 people, which sounds stressful to me, by the way, but at any rate, if that's, that's his prerogative, he's hosting a, a meal for 150 people, and it says he serves ox and six sheep and some birds, maybe a little chicken on the side, and an abundance of wine of all kinds, and, and he's serving all of this, not out of the governor's food allowance. He's not serving this on the government's dime. He's not charging excess taxes to burden the people to do these things. He's doing it at his own expense. He's serving 150 people on a regular basis out of his own pockets, which means those pockets are going to be a little deep. He's got enough to be able to carry this. And he's not, Nehemiah is not trying to hide his greater financial position from God. He's not trying to hide it from people. In fact, he calls God's attention to his very state. At the end, verse 19, remember for my good, O God, all that I have done for this people. His goal is to not just to equalize the ownership, but to use his greater ownership well. So it is right to have different amounts of ownership. That's the second. Here's the third. We're moving along. Keep tracking with me. It is also right to lend. It is right to lend, even to make agreements to lend. So if you have money or resources that another person needs, and they ask you for help. It is good to gift them what they need outright, to say, this is yours to keep. You don't need to pay me back. I'm not going to hold you a, a favor that you owe me sometime in the future. It's just yours. And when we do that, when we gift that way, we don't want to do it out of obligation just because we feel like we're supposed to. We're to give gladly. The scripture tells us God loves a cheerful giver. We can gift it outright, but we could also lend what is needed. That is to say, this is yours for now, but I expect you to return it to me at some point. We see that in the scripture at Mount Sinai, you know, the place where, where Moses gets the Ten Commandments for the people of God. At that point, at Mount Sinai, the law of God expects and assumes that some lending will happen. It's in Exodus chapter 22. God says, if you lend, this is how it's to go. He regulates then how and when to lend, but he allows the fact that we will lend. And it's not just allowed that we lend, it's encouraged as a good thing. This is part of Psalm 12, verse 5. The words are these. It's, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. In other words, if you deal generously, if you lend to others as the occasion arises, that's righteous. So the problem in Nehemiah's context is not just that lending itself was occurring, the problem was not lending itself. The problem is the way that lending happened. That lending occurred with interest. Did you notice that? 
That's the piece that seems to be the sticking point for people. They were being charged money to borrow money. And there was an uprising about that. In verse 7, Nehemiah says, I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and officials. I said, you're exacting interest, each from his brother, and I held an assembly against them. The issue is that they were lending with interest. And before we look at what's wrong with that, let me clarify just a bit more about what is not wrong financially about related things. Two more right things. It is right to loan with interest sometimes. It is right to loan with interest sometimes. You remember the, the parable of, of, that Jesus tells about the, the talents? If you remember this, Matthew chapter 25. If you don't remember, that's all right. A talent is a unit of money in their society. And Jesus tells this parable about a master who gives his servants various talents. He gives one servant five of them, one two of them, and one one of them. And the master leaves for a while, and then when the master comes back, he asks for the, what happened with these talents. And, and the guys that had two talents and five talents, they put those things to work and doubled the amount. And the master praises them for doing that. But the guy with the one talent, he took that and buried it in a hole in the ground. Gonna keep it safe. No one's gonna steal it that way. And the master to that one says, you wicked servant. You wicked servant, you wasted this. You ought to have at least taken that talent and invested it in a bank where it would at least gain a little bit of interest. Now we see in that parable that Jesus assumes there are proper occasions where we might take or give loan money with interest. It's fitting to have that. And loan interest shows up in the, in the Old Testament too. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, this is part of the Old Testament law, verse 19, the Lord says this, you shall not charge interests on loan interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest, but you may charge interest to a foreigner, but you may not charge your brother interest that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering. In other words, when you've got some sort of business interaction with foreigners, you can lend them money and charge them interest on that money. But when you've got arrangements with other Jews, part of the family of God, you can still lend to them, but don't charge them interest. Now that should make us at least pause and think twice before we are going to let, try to lend with interest to family, friends, other Christians. But this doesn't forbid all internal financial transactions with money. That just means that there's to be special care and attention, particularly to our brothers in need. We're getting, if you've lost me in the clouds, we're getting ready to land this plane, right? The last thing that is right in relation to our financial justice is it is right to give favor to the poor. It is right to give favor to the poor. 
I know plenty of people that say, hey, there ought to be the same laws for everybody. Just make everything equal. That is not how the law of God functions. God is not about things being equal. He is about things being good. He is about things being just. So here's one example in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 10. Listen to this instruction. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house to collect his pledge. You stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan, shall, he'll bring the pledge out to you. And if he's a poor man, you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may sleep in his cloak and bless you. And it shall be righteousness for you before the Lord your God. In other words, here's what's going on here. If you make a loan to your brother and you say, hey, I need you to pay this back. And just so I know you're going to pay it back, why don't you give me your cloak? And I'm going to hold on to your cloak while you've got this loan. You can do that. You hold on to that cloak until the loan's repaid. Unless that person is poor. And if that person is poor, you need to give them their cloak back by the end of the day. Otherwise, they're going to have nothing to sleep in. You're going to sleep naked, and you will be cursed for it. There is a different setting for those who are poor. Even if we were to keep reading in Deuteronomy, just the very next law, this is very practical. The law is this. If you hire a worker who's poor... The law of God says you need to pay him his wage that same day. At the end of that same day. Doesn't that sound strange for our society? Normally people get paid how often? Every two weeks. That's fine. If a person's not at their wits end, you can pay them two weeks, whatever arrangement you organize. But if they're poor, you have to pay them that same day. Because if you don't, that's oppression upon them. If you don't, that's sin against them and against God. You know, that's how Ruth survived. A famous Ruth, woman who got a book of the Bible named after her, she survived because of one of God's many laws that favor the poor. She gleaned grain out of Boaz's field. The law of God says when you harvest, you have to leave behind part of that harvest for the poor to gather. Boaz obeyed that law, and Ruth lived because of it. It is right to show some favor to the poor and to the needy. Now, all of this work is to get us to this point. This brings us to what is wrong in Nehemiah's day, what is financially unjust the sin that they're facing here, that it's rampant in their community, is that people were charging interest on loans to the needy. They were charging interest on loans to the needy. In other words, some people were profiting off of other people's misfortune. And there's a big difference between interest on loans for business and loans for charity. 
You know, the people of Jerusalem are saying, we're struggling here. We can't even make ends meet. We're struggling to even get enough food for today. And so in order to just get enough to eat, they gave us a loan, but they charged interest on top of that loan that we are just not going to ever be able to pay. You know, we've gotten pulled out of one hole just to fall in another hole that's even deeper. When we're down, these people came along to help, but they reached out one hand and then kicked us with their foot. And Nehemiah is angry about this. And rightly so. This financial injustice is a serious, serious evil. Our Westminster Standards and the Catechism uh, calls this usury. That's not a word I use very often. I had to look it up. Uh, Usury is just shameless, needless charging of interests. It's a violation of the Eighth Command to not steal. Effectively, people are stealing out of the pockets of poor people. Like watching a man on the street who's got a cup at and dipping into his cup and taking away his change. That's evil. The prophet Ezekiel calls this sort of gain from your neighbor's loss extortion. He puts it on par with bribery, on par with sexual abuse, and on par with bloodshed. These are very serious things. Financial injustice is not a small thing to be trifled with. And there are all sorts of similar sort of exploitations that happen all the time in our society. We see predatory loans with loan sharks and same-day payday loans. You know, wartime profiteering, if you know that phrase, when people buy up certain necessary goods when they're in high demand, like hoard all the toilet paper and then crank up the price so you can sell it when people really need it. When, when companies use hidden contract fees so that they can prey on the vulnerable and the ignorant, things like casinos and slumlords, all of these things are exploiting the poor. And these sins aren't just harm to the poor, not just harm to the whole community. They are a grievous offense against God and his generosity. If we want to walk in faithful obedience to the Lord, we need something different than what they were experiencing in Nehemiah. The Lord says, This is what he wants it to look like. This is in Leviticus chapter 25. I'll begin in verse 35. He says this, If your brother becomes poor and can't maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit But fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. And you shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. This is what financial justice looks like now. Let's land this plane. Where do we go from here? Give me two or three more minutes. Where do we go from here? If 
If you are involved in any sort of financial injustice, if anything that I've said in the last several minutes has stung you and went, ooh, I think I do that, you need to repent now. That sort of thing needs to stop immediately so that things can be restored and what was taken can be given back. You know, that's what Zacchaeus, the tax collector, famous guy who was a wee little man, so the song says. You know, Zacchaeus, when he met Jesus, met a man who came to seek and save the lost, met a man whose salvation really produces transformation. And so Zacchaeus, when he meets Jesus, realizes his own sin and repents. He says, I cheated but now I'm going to restore it all back four times over. Instead of taking, which is what I used to do, now I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. We want that. If you are involved in financial injustice, you need to repent. If you're walking in righteousness in these areas, good. Praise God. But there are still some important issues to consider about how we view finances. We know there's increasing pressure in society and sometimes even within the church, increasing pressure that in order to be smart, you've got to grow some sort of passive income that you can learn to profit off of other people's work and maybe seize opportunities to make money when other people might be in a pinch because that's the best time to do it. You know, somebody's going to profit off of this anyway, so that profit might as well go into my pocket. That sort of thing is often branded as strategic or savvy or smart or successful, and maybe it is those things, but is it holy? Is it righteous in the sight of God? We have to be a people who resist the cultural tide that believes that capital is king. It isn't. If communism has wickedness, capitalism also has great wickedness in it as well. Christ is our king. And Christ is the one that reminds us that that we cannot serve two masters at once. Either God rules your money or your money is your God. If God is really king, then we need to follow him. Let's seek to obey the good of his kingdom in his ways of financial justice. Pray with me. Lord, we, we know that the path of life is that he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. Help us to love what is good, to walk in the good fear of the Lord, that whether we are poor or rich or anywhere in between, we would all submit all of ourselves to you, that we would not be a people who are greedy or envious, but be a people of love and service to one another for the honor of your name. We want above all that you would be glorified. 
So would you do that in and through us? We ask this grace in Jesus' name. Amen.